This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Have you ever needed a tool for a one-time job? Or are you hosting an event but don't really want to have to buy all the stuff you need? There is a new way of sharing, and it works like a library. I'll talk to one of the co-founders. And January is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and while it can be a devastating diagnosis for the individual, we often forget about the loved ones who have to take care of them. Nira Rittenberg from Baycrest will join us. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. One of Hazel McCallion's records for longevity has been broken. Gord Krantz has served as the mayor of Milton for more than 36 years straight, surpassing Hurricane Hazel, who stepped down as Mississauga's mayor after 36 years in October 2014. The 79-year-old mayor says beating McCallion was never a goal, and given that he's more than a decade younger than McCallion was when she quit, He hasn't ruled out another run in 2018. I know that I've been doing it for 60 years, and no one has ever asked whether I'm a Democrat, Republican, Independent. His name is Charles Brotman, and he's announced every U.S. inauguration parade since Eisenhower. On January the 20th, that will change. The 89-year-old former voice of the Washington Senators baseball team says he was heartbroken when Donald Trump's transition team told him they were replacing him with a 58-year-old freelancer. However, a transition spokesman says that on Inauguration Day, Brotman will be honored as announcer chairman emeritus, whatever that means. Should the government pay for prostitutes for anyone who needs sexual assistance and can't afford it? Yes, according to the German Green Party, it says legal brothels are already offering the service to those diagnosed with Alzheimer's and those in nursing homes. The party leader says it should be billed as a medical expense and in some cases be paid for by the government. She's one of Canada's most celebrated musicians, and now Shania Twain is getting a feature attraction at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. in. 51-year-old Shania has won five Grammy Awards, dozens of Junos, and her 1997 album, Come On Over, is still the best-selling album for a woman in any genre, all time. The exhibit is going up this summer and will run through June 2018. And the former Daily Telegraph correspondent who broke the news of the outbreak of World War II has died in Hong Kong. 
Claire Hollingworth died this week at the age of 105. She was 27 years old when she reported seeing thousands of German tanks amassing near the Polish border in 1939. After years of reporting from the foreign correspondence desk, Hollingworth spent her last 30 years living in Hong Kong. But when she was asked where she wanted to go, Hollingworth replied, The most dangerous place. It always makes a good story. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a new spin on the sharing economy, which can have a special bonus for Zoomers. Do you need some tools or equipment that you'd rather not have to buy? Or would you like to get rid of a lifetime's accumulation of these things and know they are going to good use? The Sharing Depot, with four locations in Toronto, can help. And a $50 membership will buy you access to tens of thousands of these things. I chatted with co-founder Ryan Diamond. We call ourselves a library of things, but that uh, basically works out to uh, sports equipment, camping equipment, uh, board games, toys, and party supplies. We also have a program called the Tool Library, where we loan hand tools, power tools, and gardening tools. So lots of things that people kind of need once in a while. Uh, They want to throw a party. They want to uh, do some work in the house, things that uh, usually are expensive or uh, somewhat awkward uh, to store and uh, you don't need every day. So uh, those are the kinds of things that we like to loan. You get a membership to a library, and you can borrow all you like all year long. How is that different from the concept of renting a tool that you need once in a while? Well, first of all, I mean, almost all of our items come from people in the neighborhood who donate it to us. So these are people who have purchased things uh, that no longer need them anymore. They give them to us, and we just allow those things to be shared amongst the community. So it works a little differently that way. But also, once you're a member, you're not paying for anything. So you're you coming in, and essentially you, it's your garage, it's your basement, it's your uh, closet. You know, you, you own all of that stuff collectively. So you're sharing it with your neighbors. But with a rental shop, I mean, you're paying every time you borrow something. Uh, but with our shop, once you're a member, you have to pay the first day, of course, but it's quite cheap. It's cheaper than um, usually renting even one tool, for example, uh, at our shop. And then all year long, you just get to use it for free. So bar members typically save money the first time they use it, and then they realize that the rest of the year is absolutely free. And hopefully it comes to mind that they don't actually have to buy more things, which is ultimately our mission. Our mission is to reduce the number of things around. Uh, we have a lot of landfill waste. A lot of things aren't designed to be um, lasting too long. So with our program, people can reduce uh, their consumption, and save a lot of money, save some space, and uh, share in the abundance that already exists in their communities. How do you make enough with a membership of 50 bucks a year to cover the cost of all the things in the library? Yeah, well, rent is a big challenge. I mean, that is our largest cost. Um, we do have a, a great number of volunteers, and uh, that, that obviously helps. Um, we are a nonprofit organization, so we're not looking to make money in the end of the day, but we, we do have a few expenses to pay. So the $50 covers most of that. We do have some grants uh, as well. We do charge late fees, of course, if you're late uh, on your items. Um, and uh, we actually have a makerspace, which is an on-site uh, wood shop with laser cutting, 3D printing. So we offer some services out of there, and you can actually get a membership. If you don't want to have a wood shop in your basement and you like using a wood shop once in a while, you can get a membership and and use ours uh, 24-7 with a membership to that. So it's a slightly different membership program, and and there's additional revenues uh, coming through there. We here are focused on the Zoomer demographic, the older demographic. So how does this 
appeal to that demographic? Do you have a lot of people divesting, getting rid of stuff, or what? Yeah, there's a lot of people downsizing. Um, you know, we've had uh, situations where uh, someone, uh, for whatever reason, doesn't need their tools anymore, and uh, we go over and you know with a big truck and unload all these tools. So essentially, I think that there are probably hundreds of tool libraries in Toronto alone uh, that people from the older generation have accumulated throughout their lives. And they're just kind of sitting there dormant uh, a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, it's great if these people can loan those tools to their neighbors, but if they don't feel like they want to manage that whole process, uh, then the tool library is uh, an alternative to that. So we essentially collect all those tools, and then we start learning them out. So for some people, it's a, it's a gift, you know, for us to come by and actually clean out their whole house, all the tools that have accumulated in their garage, or, and then they realize they have so much space they can do something else with. Also, we have a seniors program, uh, which is Wednesday mornings uh, between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. at our wood shop, which is at uh, 1803 Danforth, uh, where uh, seniors can come in and use our wood shop for free. This is the new sharing economy. Do you expect to see more libraries like this? I hope so. Uh, You know, we're the ones doing it in Toronto, uh, but uh, there are people doing this all across the country. Uh, We've helped start tool libraries in Ottawa, in Montreal, in Halifax, uh, Hamilton, uh, Peterborough uh, started last year. So the sharing economy, you know, a lot of it is connecting through an app, you know. There are people that you know, share tools through an app. Like they'll they'll look in the app and, and they'll see who has a, cl- a tool closest to them. But it is quite a burden for both parties to try and connect. And especially if you need more than one tool, you need maybe five or ten tools at a time, which is a typical person who comes in to our shop. Then you know, to coordinate with ten different people uh, is is quite a burden. So I think that the sharing economy through an app works uh, for cars. It works um, uh, for homes. Uh, but I don't know if it works so well for tools or for a lot of the other stuff that we loan. So I think that uh, the kind of programs that we're doing with a physical location where you can come and get everything you need is uh, successful for on our side and, and in many other cities uh, now across North America and even Europe that we've been assisting on. So this is uh, potentially one side of the sharing economy that's, um, that will expand, and I hope it will. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Ryan. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. For more information, go to sharingdepot.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return to talk about caregivers with Nira Rittenberg. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. I have no freedom whatsoever. Um, The lady who comes in now, the last time she was in, which was Monday, my wife wanted nothing to do with her whatsoever. She only wanted me. And she, my wife walks around the house all day long calling my name. Where's my husband? Where's Murray? Where's my husband? Where's... Constantly. I mean, just every 10 uh-huh. seconds uh-huh. it's going on. And I can't get any relief from that. Uh-huh. I have to ask neighbors to go and pick up something if I need something from the store. I can't leave her. And I can't take her with me. She's always cold or she won't go outside. She's afraid to go outside now. So I'm, I'm really trapped. That's Murray Nitschke, a man whose life has been transformed because of his wife's Alzheimer's disease. Not everyone's experience is so extreme, but caregivers bear a big part of the burden of an Alzheimer's diagnosis. To mark Alzheimer's Awareness Month, we will be focusing on them in a special edition of The Zoomer on Vision TV tomorrow night. Right now, here are some tips from Nira Rittenberg, occupational therapist at Baycrest. Because people now know the term Alzheimer's a whole lot better than they did. This is initially a catastrophic kind of reaction for most people. 
Um, having said that, a lot of people understand that something was brewing and something wasn't right. And there's some relief in getting a diagnosis. But at the same time, it's an overwhelming diagnosis because it's so broad and has so many implications on many levels. Some of them may be the reason for the uh, diagnosis. But what's key is really to step back and start getting a little bit of a game plan and not panic. This is not an illness that is disappears, obviously, with treatment overnight. So it's not that you have to get everything done in 24 hours or short term. It's a long haul, and you got to pace and try to figure out what you need to do and get someone to figure that out with. How do people get over the shock? Is it just a matter of, of time and getting used to the idea or what? So, you know, I guess it depends. If you're talking about the caregivers, a lot of times they had some sense of something not being okay, and even the individual themselves may have been struggling. The diagnosis itself may or may not be accepted that well, but realistically, it's a matter of getting some education, and really that is the first step. If you can understand what you're dealing with, what stage of the illness this is, you know, diagnosis doesn't mean you're in a mild stage or an early stage. It may, you can get diagnosed at any point. Once you figure out where you're at on the continuum, what you need to contend with, then it makes things a lot more possible for you to reach out and get the services and supports that you need. This is a progressive disease. So how do people get a sense, well, I, I might need X today, but tomorrow I'm right. going to need Y and Z? And that's why it's critical to reach out to either your local health provider. At Baycrest, we have clinics that work with people, and we have all kinds of professionals. The Alzheimer's Society is there and ready to help people. There's lots of people out there who work with Alzheimer's disease, and it's important that the person who diagnosed you, and that may be your family doctor who's been alert and knows you many years, sets you up to have those supports, or you need to go and find them yourself. And that's not easy because it's overwhelming when you're in the middle of a diagnosis to try to find a support. But usually when you've been diagnosed, someone of that sort can help you at least get the first step, get someone there with you to figure it out. Caregivers, I mean, this changes their life too. It's a huge change. I mean, it has implications for people in all, all levels of their life, from social to economic to emotional, and they themselves start being fearful. I hear, you know, a lot of people start with, oh, my God, now I'm going to get it too. And, you know, they may not say that the first day, but really it brings out a whole range of emotions and issues right away that have to be dealt with in the long term. You can't deal with them quickly, but... For some people, it's, you know, the economics of it are going to be very difficult. Somebody is not working. Somebody has to be have care. For other people, it's the emotional state of the spouse that's dealing with this. So really, you need to start putting the building blocks together and building that infrastructure to support the person. Um, but the caregiver is really the important piece of this because we can't support the person without the caregivers be them children, be them spouses, um, or informal and, you know, formal supports that are out there. Caregivers are going to have to spend their time taking care of a person, but I've also talked to people who basically, they're like prisoners. They, they can't leave their homes. That's a, that's a frightening thought, and I think that speaks to Alzheimer's Awareness Month and really understanding that we need to really up the game. We're going to be dealing with more people who are in this predicament, 
but it's not something that uh, I can even fathom that somebody should have to live that way. And we as a society need to start looking at what the needs are. There are people who really get trapped. I think there are services out there that can give you some relief. There's behavioral support teams if the person isn't willing to accept people. There are different uh, specialists who can consult around difficult situations. But to be a prisoner with this is just uh, is an awful thought. But I think everybody becomes a bit of a prisoner to the diagnosis. And what we have to do is start changing that around um, and look at building how, how someone can get some help. Is it a day program? Is it financial assistance? Is it just giving them a break of respite care? There's something for everybody in the basket of goods. It's not a great basket fully. We need to enlarge it and we need to make it even more available for more caregivers. But we do have some things out there and people need to know to utilize them. A lot of people don't have that education. Okay. Nira Rittenberg, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Caregivers episode of The Zoomer airs tomorrow, Monday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on our sister station, Vision TV, which you can find on Rogers 60 and 237, Bell 261, and Bell 5 213. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, we'll celebrate Rod Stewart's 72nd birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Just a few days after the first anniversary of his death, David Bowie's Lazarus is ending its run at the King's Cross Theatre in London. Look up here, I'm in heaven. Lazarus closes this coming week. In Edinburgh, the Scottish National Gallery is sticking with tradition, exhibiting 38 works covering the entire career of British master J.M.W. Turner. They're always shown to the public, all at one time, free of charge during January. Scarborough's Grammy Award nominee and R&B superstar Deborah Cox is on stage at the Orpheum Theatre in Minneapolis, starring in The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard plays Toronto's Ed Mervish Theatre next month. And in southern Florida, the Palm Beach Modern and Contemporary Art Fair has taken over that city this weekend. Collectors, connoisseurs, and luminaries have the opportunity to acquire investment-quality, blue-chip contemporary post-war artworks from 50 top international galleries. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, singer-songwriter Rod Stewart celebrated his 72nd birthday. Rod Stewart is one of the world's best-selling musical artists, and he's had quite a career to get there. His early days saw him as a rock-and-roll frontman in bands like the Jeff Beck Group and the Small Faces. He then went on to a very successful solo career with hit songs like Reason to Believe, Mandolin Wind, and Maggie May. In the 2000s, he brought his raspy, distinct style to the American Songbook, releasing a number of albums featuring music by greats like George Gershwin, Cole Porter, Harold Arlen, and Hoagie Carmichael, to name a few. Right now, we'll hear Rod Stewart singing a classic by Bart Howard, Fly Me to the Moon. Fly me to the moon
That was Rod Stewart with Fly Me to the Moon. This week, the singer celebrated his 72nd birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to hear about six big ideas to fix our health care system now. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.